0: and welcome back to Flight Through Entirety, the only Doctor Who podcast with three settings, standard, comedy classic, and something relaxing for the gentleman after a stressful day. I'm Nathan. I'm James. I'm Todd. And I'm a mouthful of instant
1: pot noodle outpourings of latex, gimp-masked suffering and redemption for this one. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs>
0: Well, we've rinsed the blood off our togas and now we're headed off into the distant future, a world where humanity has transcended money, imperialism and the exploitation of the working classes, which is why we have absolutely nothing to fear on the planet of the Ood. Star Trek Picard <laughs> Sphere. It is the Sphere. It's wonderful isn't it that uh, Russell has Decided that the way that aliens work Is if they're from neighbouring planets They're vaguely similar to one another but So that's a Roddenberry <laughs> I too. guess so so Raxacoricofallapatorius and Clom Are right next to one another Um And I have to think that the alien Vord and the Kassarvan would have to have been from neighbouring planets if Chris Chibnall had the same idea. Or at least neighbouring universes. At least neighbouring universes. Since
1: Chibnall has lots of RTD's ideas anyway, I'm sure that we'll see a promulgation of this in the non-too-distant, but that's for Jodie, isn't it? (laughs) It really is. So
0: how do we feel about this episode?
2: I think Doctor Who is a bit too woke now.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it. Why is it suddenly all political and up in your face? It never used to be like that. Never. Never I was, at all.
1: Yeah, I was thinking when is was there ever a moment when Sarah Jane was faced with, but I don't think we, we well, no, it's more of a Joe Grant moment, actually, to, to look at slavery, and I don't think we've seen a companion be quite so in the Doctor's face. Again, we all, it's just lovely having Catherine Tate back. Hello, listener. Isn't it really? I've forgotten how... I never hadn't forgotten how good this was, but it's just that it's so fresh each time you watch it. But she's the Barbara of this period for me.
0: Yeah. I have a moment where I well up and that is her first interaction with the Ood that's been shot. That sort of dying, yes, um, yes. and it, it sort of menaces them and does the red eye rabbit thing, and she's frightened, and she's initially she calls it an it, you know, and she's initially apprehensive of it, and then it dies, and she goes down and she strokes its head, and she calls it sweetheart, and it's that incredible compassion that we've talked about in the last mm. two episodes.
2: Mm. As the doctor is telling her to be careful
0: as well, yeah, He's like, be careful. And she you no, know, like her compassion
2: overwhelms her sense of self-preservation yeah for something that's just almost attacked her
0: yeah I, I think it's that's... just I think it's just beautiful um, I was a bit apprehensive uh, Todd because I believed for some reason that you were very keen to do this episode and I thought that uh, you uh, probably don't like it very much
3: <laughs> initially Nathan back in the day <laughs> here we go <laughs> I always liked it oh okay I've always liked it. Um, but I didn't think it was as good as the first two episodes of the season. Yeah. And on my rewatch, I like it probably slightly more than the first two episodes of the season, which I'm already giving nines to. Mm. I really was astounded by this. And it's it's so many things. It's, it's Catherine Tate mm-hmm. in particular. But the whole story just sang to me, really. And I really just enjoyed it. Richard used the word fresh. It was much fresher. I think I've seen the first two episodes so many times because I really adore them. And so this is one that I haven't rewatched as much. And so it was like probably the episode that improved the most for me in this entire season that I've been watching.
0: What do you attribute that to, do you think?
3: Uh, Maybe really paying attention to the storyline and what is actually going on. Catherine Tate in particular, and the relationship with David Tennant in this I think is, is brilliant. And there's so many little... Moments that, again, with the story, season arcs, you know, from mentioning things like the bees disappearing to them getting mistaken for the married couple, the Dr. Donna. Mm-hmm. We get, like, the sense sphere. There's all that throughout as well. And addressing what the Ood are, essentially, the yeah. slave race. Yeah. And really feeling compassion for them with their brains in their hands and that sort of thing. I just really adored this the fact
2: that Donna again going back to her compassion and her intelligence Donna is the one that points out to Mr. Halpin yeah that of course they're peaceful they they're born with a brain in their hands they they have to be nice to people they have to try you know, they, they have see to trust a,
1: people yeah, I didn't see it as a brain I don't I, <laughs> I, I, I think it's a single. I think it's a single genus Race, I think. yeah, and I thought, look, it's a great metaphor for being a boy at school in a school of full of other boys. I mean, you are you're, cl- you're clutching your, your truth and your hope in your hands constantly, aren't you? But um, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen a metaphor. Well, it's not even a metaphor. It's actually just it is. It's it's a signifier of, of, of slavery. It's pr- I'm thinking the Romans. I'm trying to think mm. of the antecedents in Doctor Who where I've had this.
0: We don't. We don't. You know, there are enslaved people in the Romans, but there's no real sort of critique of slavery. Um, Doctor Who has done exploitation and the Doctor coming in and freeing people uh, from exploitation, maybe, you know, before the savages, but the savages is the one that... Savages isn't. Yeah.
1: And, and and, And all that top of the pops face paint. And I'm also thinking what character of Tegan would have done in this situation. And I can really see some nice heartening back to perhaps one of the other favourite periods for Keith the writer and um, whoever else would be involved. Because I, I, I can see there's a lot of 80s themes in this as well. The,
0: the, so it's it's the corporates, isn't it, mm. that are particularly 80s. And so... Um, Doctor Who was very much aware of the change of neoliberalism mm. and the, the, Thatcher, mm. the
1: Thatcher paradigm.
2: Uh, see, I, I always read it as... More analogous to one of those mid-Pertwee stories, like you know the, that too, mutants, like the IMC, hmm? yeah, like the colony yeah. in space kind of thing. You know these big companies who have taken over space and they have no accountability.
0: Well, it, it, it yeah, does. It's it very hot. It's up very,
2: throughout mm. the history of Doctor Who, but it really starts in that mm-hmm. kind of woke seventies.
0: Malcolm Hawk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah like, right. it's, it's a Malcolm Hulk story. It is a Malcolm Hulk story. Mm. So- well, it is in the in the sense that it is absolutely uh, not communist, but sort of Marxist in its kind of analysis that these are. An exploited class of people. And that it's wrong. Like, yeah. It definitely
2: comes yeah. down that way. They're as
1: collective, for goodness sake. Yeah, yeah, it couldn't yeah. be. And they're in mal grey uniforms. It couldn't be more obvious. Yeah,
0: yeah. In the gulag. Yeah. It's interesting, I think, that this is Russell choosing to go back and repair a problem with the impossible planet. And when we talked about the impossible planet. It was really just
1: implausible, wasn't it? The
0: implausible (laughs) planet. (laughs) I said at the time that the Ood were right to rise up against the people who are oppressing them and when they go around and start killing people at the base those people who we really cared about and liked you know that it wasn't actually the wrong thing for the you to do and having the devil be the person who inspires them to rebel to revolution is really telling because the thing about the devil is he opposes the status quo especially in the modern way that that
2: the devil is interpreted in a lot of popular fiction and television. Now, the devil is is written in a lot of in a lot of modern television as being chaos, not necessarily evil, burn your soul, yeah, kind of character. That's look, at Lucifer, yeah. look at Lucifer. Look at. To a lesser extent, *The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina*. That—that that is how the devil yeah. is written now, in the a career much grayer of, yeah. way. The career of Olivia
1: Colman, for <laughs> <laughs> she's got a pact. <laughs> do you know? Do you know what? I also, I'd like to throw in terms of the um, the traditional um, meaning, and it goes back a long time. Of the tarot card, I think it's current card fifteen. The devil is of the choosing. Of our own choosing to be bound to that which does not serve us, so the the binding of self into servitude, which um,
0: which can in fact be turned over if we so choose. I mean, the traditional Christian story of the devil is that he is an angel who who rises up against God, that he is revolutionary, and it's pride. You know, he wants to replace God, but but it is the idea that there's an oppressive overlord whom he wants to overthrow, um, and we'll probably see stuff about that in Series 3 of His Dark Materials when we eventually <laughs> come to that. But having the devil inspire them is less interesting, I think, than what happens this time. Look, Mm. I, in hindsight, especially in in looking at
2: their introductory story through the lens of this one, Mm. having the devil be controlling them is actually a disservice to those characters. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen the story where they were just rising up because they were oppressed. Yeah. That, to me, is more interesting. It's why I find this story more interesting and
0: more... Like, like it has something to say. I think that uh, Impossible Planet isn't interested in the politics. No. Um, and it inadvertently makes that political point, you know. And it it's a problem. Don't you feel at the end of The Impossible Planet that the Doctor has kind of... He's failed them. Yeah, yeah. And he makes that decision to save Billy instead of to save sort of 24 Ood. Should have saved the 24 Ood. <laughs> it's not a decision we would have <laughs> <laughs> necessarily oh. enjoyed. Oh. I think. <laughs> it's the
2: trolley problem.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Do you save yeah. one buck tooth <laughs> girl from
0: Essex <laughs>
2: or, <laughs> or do you save
1: 24 slaves? Which would you rather kiss? There is that gorgeous shot of the Ood going down on <laughs> a fallen soldier gentleman and I'm thinking, oh. This is getting very, very um, Galaxy Quest. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit Cthulhu, isn't it? Yeah. It's very Cthulhu without the wings, which I also do like, yes. There's lots of nods. Russell always has a nod. Yeah.
2: Getting back to Impossible Planet, Ida Scott was supposed to be returning in this story as well. Initially, she was... Going to play a major role in the show. She was going to come back and she's going to be investigating the abuses against the OOD by the corporation. Right. And that disappeared
0: in the writing process. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Ryder, I guess, is sort of playing that role. Who does he work for? So is he with Friends of the Ood? I is, love that. It's a classic 70s Pertwee name for a uh, a political group, isn't it? Oh, yeah, well, I actually thought it was a very
3: Bob Holmes sort of thing. Yes. The, mm, the Friends mm. of Delta Magna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Call. But there's Friends yeah. of
0: the Earth, I think, oh, yeah. in um, Frontier in Space, I think. Oh, is it? I can't remember. But it is a very sort of classic Doctor Who thing.
3: Mm. What is Keith Temple, is it, who wrote this episode? What has he written? Does anybody know? He's never written any other episodes, has he?
2: He hasn't really done much since. Um, he he wrote an episode of River City the next year, but he worked on Doc Martin um, on a terrible late nineties, early two thousands kids show called Biker Grove, which was set in Newcastle. <laughs> it um, wasn't that terrible. Well, it it, it gave us Anton Deck, so <laughs> well, you'd be the judge. <laughs> um, he worked a lot on EastEnders.
3: Crossroads. I always find it interesting that, you know, sometimes we have these one-off writers and I always think, well, how did they get the gig and what have they done mm. and that sort of thing? And it's interesting that he's actually got this very political episode to address the things that you've been discussing.
0: It must have been a kind of something that Russell gave him to do, yeah. though, because I think that Russell must have been conscious that there was a problem with the slave race. And it's a weird thing, too, because Rose actually comments on, on you know, humans don't need slaves. Why do we have slaves? And she's not happy about it. Um, but then the other shoe never drops. Fair enough. I think you're right. I mean, it, it, it is something that
2: Russell loved giving people shopping lists. <laughs> and he's and the JNT of the show. With this, he said, you know, like Ice Planet food. Let's deal with the slavery. Right, okay. And, again, I think, you know, getting back to what we were saying about before about it being a Mack Hulk script, I think it was on the commentary for the episode, Keith Temple talked about how his initial drafts, he was unconsciously writing it as a six-part classic series story. Right. It flows like that. But yeah. For a 45 minutes
1: <laughs> Do you know what he wrote just before this and the what reason he got the job? He did that thing I want to call it layer cake but he did that thing called um oh god what's it called uh, Angel Cake, and it's mm-hmm. got Rita Tushingham who was in, was she in Taste of Honey? She's in a lot of those great 60s things. She's one of the great northern lasses of the 60s and another lass called Sarah Lancashire whom we know mm. from other shows such as Doctor Who. But the but the thing was, the conceit was that the, um, the Virgin Mary appears in the icing of a cake, and he said, it's all these visions of weeping statues that I wanted oh. to put into Doctor Who. So, yes, we're looking at you, Moffat. <laughs> but, he, but he said that in 2006, and I'm thinking, oh, that's, Right, actually on the money, isn't yeah. it? Now, he writes with great irony and, and sensitivity in a lot of things. And he's got a book that came out in 2010 called It's Behind You, Ooh. which I think we all need to go and have a look at now. <laughs> now, I like his writing. I like the cleanness of it. I like that he gives the right people deaths in the right way. I enjoyed the
0: deaths in this one. It's funny, isn't it? Because I did too, <laughs> and I thought I thought of you, Todd, actually. Oh,
3: um, oh, <laughs> oh death couch death <laughs>
1: You
2: enjoyed the deaths in this story, Todd?
3: <laughs> um, I did not enjoy the death of Dr. Ryder, who I thought it was there to help, and then he just gets pushed into the brain and, well, I don't know. Drowned, eaten. Whatever yeah, it happens sore. to me. Like I kind of thought, well, it's a shame. Yeah. I mean, I did enjoy the death of Solana. Yeah. yeah. And it's a, she's a very interesting character, and it's one of the reasons why I really like this story is because I actually think she's really good and she sells all of that PR stuff, like, is the you know, uh, that she does with all of the clients, even when things are going to hell. Oh, yes, that's just, you know, our, our fire drill or whatever she says. And and you honestly think that she's going to go with the doctor and yeah, be on the side of personal. good, like, we, yeah. we're like what we're used to. And then she makes a choice in a decision and that has ramifications for her.
0: It's such a great scene too, isn't it? Because she critiques us in a way. Um it's that wonderful thing where one of them, either Donna or the doctor, I suspect it's Donna, says, do people here know how you're treating the ood?" Well, yeah,
2: she says, um, you've got to tell the people back home, basically. Yeah. Like, if they knew what was going on, they'd do something to stop it. And, and she says...
0: They know, they don't ask, they, they know, they don't ask, and that's, that's the, the same, same thing. thing. They don't care to know and, how the are treated. And then there's
2: it. that point that Donna makes, you know, human beings don't need slaves, we don't have slaves, and, and the doctor says,
0: who made your clothes? Yeah, and again, I think that's really interesting, and sort of more interesting than it, than it appears, because it's the point where the script is explicitly Kind of linking itself to our economic situation. So this is a sort of fantasy world with sort of alien squid head slaves, but it's by linking it to the fact that we live in a world where all of the things that we buy are produced by. By people who are being exploited, and the example is clothes. Maybe the go-to thing now is our consumer electronics, or or like Amazon. You know, perhaps w- Doctor Who might take a stab at uh, critiquing the the uh, employment practices of Amazon at Amazon. some point. Um, and then Donna rejects it. You know, Donna is the one who who goes up and questions that oud and asks it if it's okay with being enslaved. She doesn't like the slavery thing. But when the doctor says to her, who made your clothes, she pushes back and, and rejects it. And the doctor kind of goes, oh, all right, fair enough. He doesn't sort of push the point. Um, it's hard to know what that is because that doesn't reflect well on Donna who we like oh. as a person. Are you sure?
1: I think she's saying she's part of a capitalist net. She was unemployed when she met the doctor, so she's really no different from those persons working overseas. It's just that she happens historically to have been in a place
0: that had a, a more effective empire more recently. But don't you think that that's an excuse that we make? Do you mm. know what I mean? It's that thing where we sort of say um, we're not complicit in this, Because we're oppressed by capitalism as well. And that's certainly true, but we're not immiserated by capitalism to the extent that other people are. Uh, um, And so we're able to say, well, I don't have slaves, which is precisely what she says. So I'm okay. And she pushes back at the doctor. I think it's interesting. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think there's anything definite to say about it, but I do think it's a really interesting moment.
3: But I think a lot of the audience might be thinking that as well. Yeah. And I think it, it gets people thinking about what actually is happening in the world around them. And yeah. I think once Donna would never even thought about that. And the fact that she pushes back means that she does have a point of view and that maybe she's going to reflect on this and certainly how she reacts throughout the rest of the episode from what she sees and, and when they start singing and she wants it to stop in the tears. I think it's I think it's great for us to see and for those people who perhaps said, Oh yes, she's right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's it, isn't it? She's not quite ready to learn that she's part of a system that immiserates other people just as much as the people in the 42nd century are. And that kind of anticipates that scene where she hears that song, the song of the Ood, um, and she's weeping, but she says, please take it away. I can't handle it. Can't bear it. Y- you know, I can't bear it. And it, that doesn't read as cowardice, I don't think. You know, I think that just reads as as really kind of boundless compassion. But there's a level at which the horror that the Ood experience is so great that it's too much for us to think about, and maybe that's our problem. Mm. We can't every time we buy something. We can't think about with that happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, maybe we should. Maybe we're cowards. Maybe we're complicit. Um, but we can't. You know, we just can't. But
2: that makes her more human. Like, yeah. the fact that she reacts in that way actually makes her more accessible to the audience yeah. because that is the reaction that, we Most have. of us have. Yeah. On a daily basis, we just shut ourselves off on that because
3: to admit it on an ongoing basis is just too much too, to too bear. Much. And that is one of the reasons why coming back to this rewatch, um, discovering this and really thinking about it, whereas the first time I was probably quite dismissive and just didn't want to take that in.
0: Yeah, It's it's... It is amazingly good, and it is very, very straightforwardly just a story of a revolution that happens one day.
1: I really like the linear plotting in this. Yeah. It's very organic, and that's why it feels so 70s. (laughs) Well, it does, except it would have been stretched out to four episodes. I'd be quite happy with the old format (laughs) for this season. But we get a big chase. With the claw
0: in the <laughs> in thing. In the <laughs> too, don't we, we get the fun peer?
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's yeah. right.
0: The doctor today is playing the role of a sort of fluffy Pokemon. He, he or plays something.
1: his
3: own character options <laughs> minifigure, doesn't he? <laughs> well, doesn't that
0: guy just say, I've always
3: wanted to do this or yes. something like that? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, he's the weakest link in this story. I don't think his Why? performance
0: is that good. Uh, I think he's he's fabulously unlikable too. Okay. Yeah, but the, the, the
2: eyes are doing it
1: the yeah. whole way. And that you know, scar, he's got great,
0: great face. Yeah,
2: um, yeah, yeah. And then the comeuppance he gets, where he is planning to gas all the oud
0: and then they gas him. He gets what's coming to him. I did like that. Do you know, that reminds me of there is one other place in the script where it's linked to the present day, and that is that he refers to the Ood as livestock, and they have to gas the infected livestock, and then it's compared to... Like they've got BSE. It's the foot-and-mouth solution, Mm. and that's said in the dialogue as well. And so Mm. suddenly, as well, the the ood become our food animals and it's not pushed but the fact is that we live in a world where i think i've heard something like 56 billion animals a year are killed for us to eat and those animals are kept in appalling conditions Mm -hmm. and they don't want to be killed they fight back against us when we try and catch and kill them that, that there's an absolute kind of moral horror that underpins our everyday life. And I'm not vegetarian. I'm not planning to become vegetarian. But. But. But the misery that we inflict on the world, just as just to stay alive, and and it's hinted at in that bit of dialogue.
1: I ate plant-based fake chicken this week, dear <laughs> listener, and it was fine. I just thought I'd throw that on and take the icy moral high
3: ground. <laughs> I think it's a
1: healthy vegetarian diet for all of us <laughs> from now on. Thanks, Colin. <laughs> And because I ate it, I had to tell everyone.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's it.
1: I want to know how the, who makes the Ood pyjamas and what do they eat? It looks very cold and I haven't seen their shoes. I have a lot of questions about
0: this episode, Russell. Yes. I don't understand, <laughs> but I like their icy bridges. I'm pretty sure that other oud make the oud clothes. I think that well, that's almost. But how? Because you're always holding your <coughs> brains in your hand. <laughs> oh aren't no! You? Because they've been lobotomized.
2: No, no, no! But natural oud. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What do they do? I change? think they they get lobotomized and then have to make their own clothes. Yeah. I what think... do natural oud do when they're
1: doing the washing up or hanging out? You know, Hang hanging out, out the washing.
0: Or... It's, it's that really funny <laughs> thing. Oh, I, I've. <laughs> Met people. That well, can they do pop that it then. back into their mouths. <laughs> it's that really weird thing where the doctor says there can't be a slave race because nothing could evolve to be a slave race. Yeah. But I'm fairly certain nothing could evolve to have half of its brain in its hands. You know, like that seems like a, maybe they a do thing that wouldn't happen. Pop it back in. Maybe they do, like we do when it's cold. Yes. Maybe maybe it's just that
1: it's
2: because it's so cold there. We've just answered our own question. I think actually that that whole thing came from a conversation that David had had with Russell. Okay. Which the, oh, the David? Tennant. Oh, David like, he, he actually <laughs> was like, Popping Billy's teeth, <laughs> oh, oh, between things. Oh, yes. I,
1: I just had an HR Geiger vision of her just projecting <laughs> them across the set at anyone that annoyed her and,
2: and, and stealing an ood brain. <laughs> um, but but oh, the, poor Chris he Simmons. he he'd, he'd had conversations with him. I'm sure I read this somewhere that he'd had conversations with Russell yeah. about well, how could an, a slave race
0: evolve naturally? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Such, Such fans. Well, he was. He, <laughs> he was. absolutely was.
3: So Mr Kess gets a good death. The Ood buyers also get some good deaths. I think we spoke a couple of weeks ago about um, having, um, you know, these attractive sort of extra people that come in just to do like one scene and they're like like – in the office or whatever. But, yeah. here, but here they're talking about. I actually really just love that whole scene and how. Horrifying and also ridiculous at the same time. The whole, you know, you can get your oud with this, that and the other and then, oh, it
0: changes colour. Well, <laughs> <Yeah. Well>, it's <laughs> more fool you. So there's a humiliation of the oud involved there because yeah. because not only are they um, just turned into commodities and sold as slaves, mm. but they're also humiliated along the, the way. Yeah, they're mocked and yeah, derided. Yeah. So, yes, the, yeah. so the, mm. the option where it can do Homer Simpson or the option where it can sort of seduce you after a day's work or whatever. <laughs> Ew. Uh, Ew, um, it's uh, like horrifying and, yeah. and, and hilarious at the same yeah. time as long as it's not happening to you. And no, and no, that no. scene where she's introducing the Ood and talking about the great conditions that they're kept in, so Solana is doing the sales pitch at the same time as Commander Cass is chasing a runaway Ood. And then planning to kill them all well but but mm. it, it's a scene where people are running with machine guns after mm. an ood that's running away and that ood ends up cowering terrified in a corner, you know, surrounded by those those drums, while she's talking about how they're educated and looked after and and all of that kind of thing, it's really kind of sort of super obvious and maybe a bit maybe a bit on the nose. But See, I love that juxtaposition. Yeah, it is it is great. It's worth mentioning that uh, we have Graham Harper back this week. It is worth mentioning it.
3: Yes, he loves doing all of his you know big shotgun sequences and then there's fire going in the background and explosions. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, he does have this style that seems to come up time it's, and time he again. He has been remaking uh
0: Andrew And Revelation of the Daleks
2: <laughs> ever since, really, hasn't he?
0: But this is the one where pe- men with guns, you know, this is a big men with He's guns episode. It's the Dougie
1: Camfield of the 21st yeah. century We're, until recently.
0: I mean, Doctor Who doesn't do men with guns very much. And having people shot dead. N- New Who doesn't have scenes very often where someone gets out a gun and shoots someone else. And, and having them... Like, it's clearly a deliberate choice to have them as machine guns because that makes them seem more violent. Mm. Uh, But all of the scenes where the Ood are shot, the Ood are not in shot when they're shot. Like, yeah, you shoot off camera at Ood who are sort of over somewhere else. But there is a huge amount of that here. But, I mean, that's partly because... You
2: don't need to see it. You know they're dead.
0: Yeah. But
2: also there was the edict from Russell at the time that you should not see blood on Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. Which kind of has disappeared over time because he very firmly placed it as a family tea time
0: show. Yeah. Yeah, but I think th- I think that they take it as far as they can. This is the most gun episode. Mm. Well, getting to that. The scene at the end of the
2: episode where Mr. Halpin becomes an Ood yeah, had to be reshot because it was too horrific. How was too horrific? It was pretty horrific. Horrific, pretty horrific. It's 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 horrific enough horrific. now. Initially it was filmed front on. Right. Um with like his face Falling away I believe right. And 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 It was It was kind of a bit like Kane. I was just going to say Has everyone forgotten Ice World um, <laughs> That
1: far away Maybe that planet's mm-hmm. next door
2: <laughs> <laughs> But But They redid it And It's not Tim McKinnery In that final version Of the shot It's his face matted on To oh, okay. Paul Casey
0: <laughs> <laughs> Almost certainly
2: Probably Because I mean Paul Casey was playing Dude Sigma Yes yeah. um, But But they basically he was had to, to it, They redid it from the side yeah. because that was more acceptable than the, the original oh, shot. It's still just, super
0: yeah. gross because oh, yes. he's
2: coughing up tentacles. But, um, imagine you know, that you find that difficult to watch. <laughs> imagine how difficult it was to watch that they had to change it in post-production. Everything
3: off his scalp. Yeah, oh. yeah. It's very clever, you know, throughout as he's drinking his hair tonic. I mean, it's just (laughs) terrific to think about. And as you realise, as
2: you realise at the same time he does as well.
0: Yeah, I'm not a... I'm i am not I want to a, see a new Pash. <laughs> just do. <two>. I'm not <laughs> super sold by that scene because he can't speak properly and his face is going all red and it's all just a little bit too cartoonish at that point.
2: And too sudden as well. I mean, he should have been coughing up blood and being quite ill throughout the episode. Well, his
0: hair is falling out mm. and that kind of does it because... You know, like the whole thing about him going bald is the way of saying that he's turning into yeah, an Ood. and Yeah,
2: and then you get the they they lampshade that by having the line from the doctor where he says, you know, the the, the his vicinity to the Ood brain is has accelerated the process. Right. Okay.
3: And right. certainly with the
0: levels being turned down as yeah. well. Yeah. What do we think the circle thing does?
1: I feel the circle thing is going back to my old Marx notes from university that we're actually still nodding. Oh, and it's also the you know you know the collective, but it, it's also nodding to a lot of um, popular, which is now popular of Vedic and Buddhist and Eastern type wise men religious thing of the circle of life. Oh, be back. <laughs> on the, the Lion on King, Tita Loka, <laughs> <On Tita> Loka <laughs> and the, Lion to the Spiders. King.
0: Yeah. yeah, that as well. I mean, you know, it's like Barry Letts is in the room. So yeah, there's two things I think that sort of happen. Like it prevents collective action, doesn't it? Like, which is what you were saying. Like it prevents the UED from regarding themselves as a collective yes. and from taking action yeah. in order to to uh, overthrow their oppressors. I think it's telling that once the UED kind of Do the collective action. Then what they do is broadcast that song to everyone. So, like the, the song that Donna had heard is the song of, of sorrow
1: and exclusion and and um, impression. Separa- it's a song of separation, and then we get oh my goodness, we're back to William Blake. Uh-huh. We have the songs of we songs of innocence and experience, but it, it, this is this is the final book. So it's the it's the song of um, it's not triumph. It's collective acknowledgement.
0: So what do they hear? Like a a Welsh football choir. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, why do they stop oppressing the oud then, all of a sudden? Yes, why is that? Do we all just
2: get woke? (laughs) Well, it's it's a bit too woke, isn't it? Um, The name of that song on the soundtrack is Song of Freedom. Right. And it's, you know, I mean, that's obviously how we're supposed to read it. But I guess, you know, like, well, how do we... Go back to oppressing the ood. Like the company's fallen. I think it, no. It's exactly it's, what you exactly. said. It,
1: it's the song of where we're all meant to get. We're even including um, globalization and climate change yeah. in this episode because it's a song of when everybody wakes up and stops exploiting the environment and each
0: other. So, so the ood ood sigma earlier on when he's asked about freedom, or is it is it ood sigma who gets asked about freedom and he says he doesn't understand the concept, and then suddenly ev- well he's lying. Well, but suddenly every human on earth hears the Ood's elation at being free and they can no longer continue oppressing them, I guess. I mean, it's sort of a fantasy thing because we're quite happy to continue oppressing people kind of all the time and we know yeah. that they have the same interiority as we do. I mean,
2: you, of course, you come back to the Ood later anyway. Like, yeah. So you see that they are
0: still free. Yeah. But they haven't been re-oppressed. Yeah. In fact, the Ood's huge role in The End of Time... Yeah. Okay. So they come back and they're big. And for a while, like, Russell kind of wants them to replace the Time Lords in a way in, in that they have some awareness of something breaking through or some bad thing happening, like, you know, the, they're sort of is <laughs> <laughs> they're <laughs> guardians or something. I think yeah. your
3: song must end soon. Yeah. Yes. So they foreshadow, no, this Dr. Donna, you'll never be forgotten or something. Yeah. So like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Your song must end yeah. soon. That's song must uh, end
2: soon, uh, but they are time sensitive in some way. They can mm, see yeah. they can sense that something is coming. Either that's really the end of the though. season uh, or it's the end of tenants. tenants life. Yeah, yeah. You can read it either way. And, and it's a red herring for the end of the season because he gets shot by a Dalek. So uh, you're yeah. supposed to read that as oh, he might actually die at the end of this season instead of five episodes later.
0: But there is there's the Ood in his final scene who is singing him back into the TARDIS before he regenerates. And I think that that makes this story, which is just a little standalone that you could kind of easily skip, it makes it much more central to the era. Mm. And since it's a story of overthrowing oppression, that becomes an important – you know, that's Russell telling us this is what he thinks is important in Doctor Who. Yeah. To him, that's the heart
2: of the show. That's what the show is about. It's about this character who comes into the world, whether it's, you know, ours or an alien planet, and makes things better. And then that's taken by Stephen and and Run with the whole, you know, the whole reason he chose his name. Was because he, he makes, makes people, people better. better. Yeah. Um. Uh, or, but also, then it becomes well. He actually inspired the name Doctor, <laughs> yeah. and and so it's this whole kind of thing, which is really central to that sort of first. You know what? Twelve, thirteen years. The new series is really stuck on this, and I think it kind of comes in in a big way. In this season and in this story yeah. is when it actually starts to really come to the fore.
0: Todd, take us somewhere else.
3: I like the big rocket at the beginning. <gasps> <laughs> Thank you, Todd. I was so excited to see Hartnell rockets. Yeah. they're yeah. always
1: they're always and you know Vicky's always talking about rockets and rocket ships, and we get to see one, and it's totes Flash Gordon. And it's also Totes a Bit New Thunderbirds. I got very, very warm. And it's also just a recolorized version of the of the Implausible Planet one. It's just red, <laughs> yeah. not yellow.
3: And it, it impresses Donna greatly. It <laughs> does. It's a
1: Ferrari. We can see where she's kind of a dirty
2: girl. It's it's, it's longer than it is wide.
1: So she wants to get... But, but
3: it, it it
2: is actually it is actually the same model. No, of course so is it, it the is. the Same MCG CG model, model. yeah. They just recolored it. Which one is that? Is that Thunderbird two? That's Thun Thunderbird three got a little bit of that. Thunderbird three has that. Although, of course,
1: as we know, as everyone who's interested in rocketry and. And um, such things are the going to Well it doesn't work You need four nacelles Because if you have three The thing will spin Pretty much as it's spinning In this episode But slowly No rockets need to have Two or four They need to be balanced Outriggers uh, out uh, out- uh, out-
3: uh, out- uh, Flying see. buttresses like, <laughs> Diana, like Diana Rigg When it lands there In the background or so gorgeous. I always think of The master's um, arrival yes. in My Co- Col- colonic space <laughs> yes. Yes.
0: Uh, For me The entire Ood operations thing Just reminds me Of the Zero fruit processing plant in that Series 4 episode of Blake 7. Ah, yes. When are we doing the Blake 7 podcast? <laughs> it looks yeah, like we're doing it now. That still sounds fresh. Uh, it's, <laughs> gold. <laughs> it's gold, by the way, I think, starring uh, it is. Rory Kinnear's slightly less famous father, Roy. Yeah.
3: At the beginning, I mm. also really like the fact that um, they mentioned that it's real snow. Mm. At last. <laughs> because we've had all these Christmas specials where yes. it's like, oh, we think it's snow, but it's. It's burning Sycorax. <laughs> yes.
2: and, and obviously Ash. it's fake snow, but also it was filmed in August in one of the hottest weeks of that year.
0: Certainly oh. that final scene where Donna's saying goodbye, she looks. Visibly uncomfortable in that sort of big kind of fur jacket that Doing she has. Doing cold acting. But, but it's sort of lightly sprayed grass. It looks like Antarctica from uh, The Seeds of <laughs> Doom. <laughs> uh, and it's just that those shots, you know, the plate shots or whatever they are, the CG shots, which are fantastic, like beautiful. beautifully designed, but then there's a little bit of grass sprayed white kind of matted into this sort of beautiful, um, beautiful artwork. I think all of that stuff is fun, and they really go to town on the fake snow. All the railings are painted in it, like every sort of available I'm service. I'm still
1: happy because the Ood should be hairy.
0: Oh, because it's uh, so cold. They
1: should be tar and wood beasts. <laughs> God. Shouldn't they, talk? Maybe
0: they run really hot. They <laughs> maybe they really run maybe. hot. Look, I think if they're born with their brains in their hands, all bets are off as far as their biology is concerned. They'd be hopeless at group tennis. <laughs>
2: they
1: would. <laughs> <laughs> Terribly confusing. Catherine Tate's the one that shone for me in this one. And as you say, Asher Darker. Yeah. yeah. It's really just because she was so very much the reason these models exist and the way that we've all acquired our mobile telephonic devices is mm. because people like this have sold it to us. It's okay.
0: Yeah. She is, of course, in Attack of the Clones. Is she? Yeah, she plays uh, one of the queens of Naboo. I don't know if it's the one who... Does she really? Is is it the one who's horribly murdered on the platform in the first... uh, She's got a career. No, no. I think it's an actual proper queen. Like, it's uh, it's when we meet Queen Amidala's replacement queen uh, on Naboo and it's her... And she's emoting? She's... Look... No. Probably more than Natalie Portman is, but uh, that's not saying much. Um, so she's she's in that. Um, but God. she is incredibly good and she really is kind of central to so much of it. She plays a sort of easily overlooked role, but she's perhaps the most important guest yeah. cast member. I would agree. And she looks glamorous too. No, that outfit, mm. the black outfit with the, with the dress and everything is wonderful.
2: And it's... it's Going back
0: to the
2: point you made earlier, Todd, about how we expect her to, because we know how Doctor Who works, we expect her to be a character that turns against her employers because what they're doing is wrong. And we expect that. We expect that's a Doctor Who archetype. We expect Mm. that to occur. And when it doesn't, it wrong-foots you. And then you get a, a wonderful scene where she gets her comeuppance, like, like, and 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 people die in this in this episode in, in a
0: really appropriate way. She actually orders uh, some of the gunmen to shoot the ooh. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. she she makes mm. her decision and then really leans into it, and mm. so she becomes, you know, well and truly deserving of the death. And that's the fun thing about when the Ood rise up and start killing people, the people deserve it. And so it's actually really sort of rather satisfying. It is
2: a Malcolm Hawk story.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I've got one question. Do the events of this story play out any differently if the Doctor and Donna are not present?
2: No. <laughs> I don't think so. It's a Colin Baker story. No, I don't have- <laughs> Well, we Why you are you looking <laughs> at me? <laughs> because you like Columbus, <laughs> um, as do I.
0: <laughs>
3: Big finish. <laughs> it's a good question, Nathan. I'm trying to think. Hmm. Well, he would Doctor he... of Ryder have gone, been got into Warehouse Fifteen?
0: Yeah. So if they hadn't got in, so so the Doctor switches off the circle. He also switches off the little the little Lego bombs. But he's the only one that remembers to do that. So. <laughs> yes, they would have just so, carelessly forgotten, carelessly <laughs> forgotten.
1: <laughs> Yes, there is always a moment. He, he, he's the trickster. or the he's actually um, Sylvester McCoy is the fool in Lear. He's the one that's working on the on the backgrounds. Oh gosh, we're back to Kinder. That, that's yeah. the
2: thing, though. It's the, the the enslaved people have the revolution and
0: save themselves, and it would have been. Less satisfying if David Tennant had just come in and overthrown it, Mm. that they had their own agency. That with Dr Ryder's help, like Dr Ryder lowers the, you know, intensity of the circle Mm. so that the Ood start to get red eye and start to rebel. But basically the Ood do it, but Mm. maybe that's the right decision. Yeah, there would have been slightly more explosions and
2: slightly more deaths. Yeah without the doctor there. So uh, he's really fiddling around the edges. He's not he's driving a, the plot. Yeah, He's a proper 60s
1: doctor again. We we get confused because we expect the doctor to always be pert we on, but mm. really in, and actually Davison was doing it as well, but really the 60s doctors would have would have fitted very nicely into this.
0: So essentially when the ood say thank you very much for saving us and you're wonderful and you'll never f- be forgotten, they were just being polite. Right. We've travelled to the past and the future, and so it's time to fire up our satnavs and head back to Earth to see how Martha's getting on. We'll see you next week for another perennial fan favourite, the Sontaran Stratagem. In the meantime, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, and you can keep up with us at Flight Through Entirety on Facebook, at FTE Podcast on Twitter, and on our website, flightthroughentirety.com, where you'll find links to our other podcasts, Bondfinger and Jodie into Terror. Until next time, remember that there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. But not to worry, we're certain that everything will turn out just fine. Thank you very much for listening and good night. Good night. See you soon. I want to go, blah, 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 but yes, good night. <laughs> <laughs> That was Flight Through Entirety, starring Todd Bealby, Nathan Bottomley, James Selwood and Richard Stone. Theme arrangement by Cameron Lamb, strings performance by Jane Orberg. This episode, the icy moral high ground, was recorded on the 1st of February 2020 and released on the 29th of March. Flight Through Entirety makes no profit and runs as an anarcho-syndicalist community. It is organic, non-toxic and cruelty-free... Except for the occasional completely unwarranted remark about Billy Piper's teeth. Uh, How are we going? Do we have any closing statements? I
1: uh-huh. to say something fresh about it. But... Well, it's a very simple linear story, so really... Yeah, it's a bit of a... We have yeah. seen it before. But so you... it, it's saved by
0: performances and by the very slick direction. I think it just it's the simplicity of it. It mm. is just, you know, these are oppressed and they rise up and do it. Okay, I've got one. Which
2: is what it should
1: be. Yeah, yeah, it it just should, should actually
0: be
2: filmed simple. before the season opener as well,
0: well. I think this
2: is the tag.
0: Okay, I've got one question.